0: Y'all should clap for me right now. Just go ahead. Clap for me right now. I did it. I was on the platform when the lights came on, y'all. I did it because they told me to run fast. and Here I am. Man, it's so good to see y'all this morning. Um, we, we are kicking off our summer series. It's called Born Again. Um, show of hands, this is not for anything other than just to help us kind of know who's in the room. How many of you... Like, I was born in church, and I know that that probably makes me in a minority. Okay, I wasn't literally born in church. Like, my mom didn't literally give labor in the service, but would not that liven up the church service, right? Holy cow. But I was pretty much, I mean, from the as long as I've been alive, I've been in church. Um, just curious, how many of you would say that's you? As long as you've been alive, you've been in church. Okay. Um, now, Wendy has a different story. Wendy got saved at around 16. I don't even know if I was saved at 16, but I was in church. Are you with me? Um, Now, we're going to qualify some of these statements, like what does it mean to be saved, and when I say born again, what does that mean? I'm saying all this because born again is a fairly churchy word, phrase, right? Like when we say born again, like that's not probably language we use a lot, right? So it's easy when I say we're doing a whole summer series called Born Again, It would be easy for you to kind of go, ugh, I'm going to turn that off because I don't don't want religion. And I get that, right? As somebody who was raised in church, when I heard the phrase born again, it usually came from somebody whose face was red and was pointing at me on the front row and was like, you must be born again, right? Like that's how I heard it. And so I just want to kind of, give you a little bit of a breather, like set you at ease, if you hear the phrase born again and you have this picture of an angry man or woman preaching at you and shaking their finger, that's not what this is about. Okay? Now, what it is about. And if you're in the room this morning and you know if you died right now that you would go to be with Jesus, you need to be praying this morning during this service. This morning in this series is about what does it truly mean to be born again? So if I am following Jesus, what does my life look like? I think it's an important thing for us to talk about. So for some of you, this summer will be like a refresher course. Oh, that's right. I'm following Jesus, and these things should be in my life. For some of you... Because of the culture that we live in, and I'm so glad you're here, and a lot of you, we come every week. But it doesn't mean that you're born again. You good? And this morning, if I, do, if I do my job right, there's going to be some moments in this message where you're going to stop and ask yourself, Holy cow, am I born again? Now, birthing is an interesting deal. I have no experience in that. At all, I've been in the room. Um, I, I've been in the car. You didn't deliver in the car, but when the boys came, they entered the world seven weeks early, right? And so I've I've been in the car from Clover, South Carolina, all the way up to Pineville, North Carolina, as Wendy was going in labor, as I drove my car as fast as I possibly could, right? And you know when when um. When you're a guy, and when you're a husband, your wife gets pregnant, and you start thinking about, like, what's it going to be like when she gives birth? Am I the only one who just pictures a scene out of the movie Alien? Like, I just, in my head, I just picture this, like, and I haven't haven't seen that whole movie, but I've seen enough of that once. I just picture, like, a lot of screaming, and then, like, and blood just everywhere. That's just kind of how I pictured it, and it was nothing like that. Nothing like that at all, but the birthing process was like I kept saying to God, I'm so in love with Wendy, and I'm so glad I'm a guy, (laughs) right? Like, thank you, God, that I don't have to do that because this looks terrible. And then, like, there they are, little tiny, seven weeks early, holding them in our hands, and Parker's leg, his right leg was literally This up here, his foot was beside his ear, and it was so weird to see that, like, when we saw them for the first time, we didn't even take pictures because we were like, what's up with the leg? (laughs) My son's going to be a punter in the NFL, right? Like, he's got the extension and everything, and I remember, like, saying to the nurse, this can't be normal, right? And she was, as only medical professionals can do, they have this beautiful, amazing, calm, condescending way of talking to you, when they say, "No, no, that's that's normal." I'm sorry, normal? Because I I haven't seen anybody hopping around on one leg because their leg is up by their ear. She's like, "No, that's just how he was in the womb." And over time, I promise his leg will come down. And sure enough, like a clock, we watched his leg just eventually, like, he's normal. Well, I mean, his leg's normal, (laughs) right? Sydney was nicer to us. Sydney came a little bit longer. We waited a little bit longer for her to come. And so with the boys, we never had to wait on the birth. They decided to come, right? And so we just, she went for a checkup, and the doctor said, I think you might need to go to the hospital. And he was right. Sydney took her time, but still, the birthing process is miraculous, y'all. It's amazing. It's this morning, when we talk about being born again, we're going to be in John chapter three, and I just want to kind of walk through this conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus, and just see what we can pull out of this conversation that can help us understand this term "born again." So we pick it up in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Um, just to kind of keep bring us up to speed here, if, if Nicodemus was alive today, he would be a leader in a church. Right? He was very religious. I don't even mean that in a bad way. The Pharisees, we knock on them all the time like they're horrible people. But in that day, if there was a group of people who wanted to make absolutely sure that they were right with God, it was the Pharisees. Okay? So Nicodemus, that's who he was. Verse 2 says, he came to Jesus at night. There's a reason he came at night because he didn't want his other Pharisees to know that he was coming to meet with Jesus. Again, I've heard people knock on Nicodemus. Wow, you're so scared of people. Why'd you go at night? He was talking to Jesus. You with me? None of the other Pharisees were. So he was talking to Jesus. He was interested. He said this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Do you notice how what Jesus said had no relevance to what Nicodemus said? Like, it would be like you coming to church and, like, just, you're like, this is fantastic. Like, I've seen these signs and these wonders. It's awesome. Like, I love this church. Paul, can I join the church? And we just turned and said, well, you got to be born again. That's what he did to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, you are amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And he says, yeah, but you're not going to see the kingdom if you're not born again. And that phrase caught Nicodemus off guard. Nicodemus asked the obvious question. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Now, if you're into gross stuff, Nicodemus gets a little bit gross, and he says, surely I can't go into my mother's womb a second time to be born, because Nicodemus is thinking natural, right? It's like, I, I, my mom gave birth to me once. How exactly am I supposed to get back in there for a second birth, right? What Nicodemus was saying was that a man is used to doing things. He's a man who's used to doing things to be right. And so he asked Jesus how he could do this as well. I need you to get this, y'all. Born again is not something that you and I can do. We can't do this. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to him. Verse 6, Jesus said that flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Being born again is a work of the spirit. It's not something that you and I do. We can't do it. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. A lot of us, I think, sometimes approach Christianity like a seminar, don't we? Well, I picked my church based on the best teaching. That's good. That's good to be taught. We approach Christianity like it's something that we should learn. And there's learning involved in Christianity, but, y'all, this is not a seminar. Christianity is a way of life. It is an experience. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. No, 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 no. It's not something that you do. It's something that is done. It's not something that you learn. It's something that you experience. I noticed this when when my kids were born? I'm sure that you noticed this when your kids were born. Did you notice how little they had to do with it? When's the last time you were in the labor and delivery room and you watched a baby call the shots? We say phrases like, Sydney took her time and Will and Parker came early. Uh, They had nothing to do with it. Now, the spicy food that we ate before Sydney came, that might have had something to do with it. I don't know, right? They had nothing. Babies have no part in the birthing process. They are literally just along for the ride. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is you've got no part in this process. You can't do this. This has to be done for you. And Nicodemus struggled with that. And if we're honest, many of us do too. Because we live in a culture that celebrates all that you can do. Don't we? So when we come to salvation, well, that's something else that we'll do. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you can't can't do this. You can't. We want to be able to say we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to be able to stand before God And tell him this, and listen, don't discount me because you've been in church and know this is the wrong answer. We want to stand before God someday and convince him that we were worth it. Convince him that we deserved it. Convince him that somehow we did more good than we did bad in this world. And all that is, is a fancy way of saying, I want to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born a second time. I want to figure out how to make that happen. And we don't have the chance to say that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 clearly says that we can't boast about our salvation. Paul writes, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nobody. Being born again is not something we can do. So Jesus keeps talking, right? We look at verse 8. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. Oh, my goodness, y'all. I love the wind. How many times were we hiking in Utah? And we are like, we are dying. The sun was so hot, y'all. They're, doing, they're going through a heat wave. It's like somebody out there prayed, the Jenkinses are coming. Let's give them an experience, right? And we're hiking, and it's hot, and you just, like, turn this curve. And all of a sudden, like, this wind just comes down the canyon. Like, oh, my, Jesus, thank you for that wind. It feels so good, right? But here's what I learned in Utah, as if I didn't already know this. I had no control over the wind. It wasn't like I could just, like, flip a switch and go, yeah, I'm hot now, so wind, go, right? I mean, we could blow on each other, not the same thing. And if you do that, brush your teeth before you do. We don't control the wind. And that's the second thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying being born again isn't something you can do, and it's not something that you can control. The wind blows where it pleases. The wind is fairly unpredictable. We're all on board for that until Jesus turns it to something spiritual and says you you can't control being born again, please don't raise your hand and don't point to the people next to you. But how many of us in the room struggle with not being in control? We say that we bring nothing to the table when, in salvation, but what we sometimes live is that we are in control of the process. And so Nicodemus asked a second time in verse 9, how can this be? And I think that this is where Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Because being born again, we can't do it and we can't control it. It's not something we can do. It's not something that we can control. But it is something that we have to accept. Can we hang out here for just a second on that word? Jesus said, Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Verse 11, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Now, turn to the person next to you and tell them, hang on. This is the Pull your feet back under your chair. This is the part that's going to rub you a little bit wrong. Okay? If I can give you some um, comfort, it rubs me wrong this, the same way. Okay? Because we're going we're to learn a little bit here that maybe it's a little countercultural to what we've been taught in church. Jesus talks about how you have to accept our testimony. And accept is not about just walking down an aisle. It's not just about praying a prayer. Accepting is literally, it's experiencing something. The, the Greek word implies taking and receiving. It, it implies that something changes as a result of accepting, okay? If you're taking notes, just a couple of verses to jot down. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, um, Paul is writing about running the race. And he says this, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, any, I got any runners in the house, cross country, marathon, uh, ultras, whatever. I've been in enough races to know that everybody runs and not everybody wins, right? Like some people win and they look so good doing it and I'm the guy at the back going like, I am going to go meet Jesus, right? He says, do all runners run? Yes, but only one gets the prize, Run in such a way as to get. That word get is the same Greek word as accept. So if you're a runner and you've been in a race, you know, like when you get to the end of that race, if they were to say to you, congratulations, you just get the great feeling of knowing that you've achieved something today. Uh, No, 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 no. Give me the bling, right? Put that medal around my neck. I earned it, right? I, I want that thing. So when he says run to get the prize, he's talking about like you're not just theoretically getting something. You're actually getting, receiving, taking something. It's the same word that he used, the Greek word that's used for accept. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four. 24. Paul's writing this about his testimony. He says, five times I received, same word. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. How many of you know that Paul wasn't talking theoretically? He literally was scourged five times in his life. He received the lashes. And Jesus said, the reason, Nicodemus, that you're not born again is because you haven't accepted my testimony about myself. You have not received it. You have not changed as a result of it. John Bevere wrote a book a couple years back called Good or God, and I found this stat in that book. This is going to blow your mind. He said the word Savior is found 36 times in the Bible and the word Lord 7,800 times. And he asked this question, where do you think God places the emphasis? We have been told that what we need is a Savior, but the Bible says that we have to bow to a Lord. This is that part of the message where you start to check yourself right, is my life bowed to the Lord. Because what it means to be born again is to accept his testimony about himself. And Jesus' own testimony about himself is, I am Lord. And if I accept that testimony, then I bow my knee to his Lordship. I bow my life to his Lordship. Everything I do, I answer to him for. Everything I want to do, I check with him first because he is the Lord of my life. That's what he's getting at with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to figure out how he can do something else, how he can learn something else. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be born again, you've got to accept my testimony about myself. Being born again, if I can just boil it down must lead to transformation. It has to. Over the summer, we're going to take 10 weeks, and we're going to talk about, I mean, we could call them all kinds of things, characteristics of a Christian life, marks of a Christian. It's, it's, I'm literally going to take you through a book that I read this past year that we could, we could use it for a new believer's class. It's just 10 things that are evident in the life of a Christian. And, and it's going to sound like a bunch of stuff we have to do but what i want you to see today is it's not stuff you have to do it's stuff that you are able to do because you have been born again and and i'm just going to i don't know how else to say it other than this way if these things are not in your life then jesus is very clear that we judge a fruit a tree by its fruit And so we can say all day long, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. But if there's no evidence in your life, you don't know Jesus. You can believe in him all day long. I think that James says that the devil does too. But it's the evidence in my life, the fruit in my life that is the proof that I have actually been born again. More about that in just a second. So being born again must lead to transformation. Probably not all at once, right? Women in the room, without being disgusting, can we just collectively say, thank you, Jesus, that babies are small. No one wants to give birth to a grown person. I mean, they're small and still. Like, I remember, I remember you talking, Wendy, like the boys, because they were seven weeks early. Um, they were 3 pounds and 14 ounces and 2 pounds and 15 ounces. Sydney was more than the boys combined, right? Like, and, and we would, like, see people in church that they'd go, oh, look, we, we had a baby and, and she's 9 pounds and 3 ounces. And Wendy's eyes would be like, how in the world, right? Like, just aren't you glad that babies are small when they're born? And how many times have you mocked or made fun of or gossiped about a little small baby Christian because they weren't grown up yet? I'm so thankful that we're born small and God allows us to grow. That's the whole point of grace in relationships is that we don't judge baby Christians for what they do. But I'm telling you right now, if you stay small, if there's no growth and there's no transformation, you weren't born again. Because being born again has to lead to transformation. Here's three ways. Jot these down. If you're born again, you have a new father. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. These are the people that Nicodemus was a part of. And here's what he said. You belong to your father, the devil. That's not a good way to win friends and influence people, is it? Holy cow. When you're not... Following Jesus, you have a father and his name is Satan. Yeah. Some of y'all, teenagers in the room, you're like, I know, I know. But he means literally, your father is Satan. When you're born again, you have a new father. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says that we have the Spirit now and the Spirit allows us to say of God, Abba, Father. We have a new master. Romans 6, 14 says, sin shall no longer be your master. Before you're born again, sin is your master. When you're born again, you have a new master. His name is Jesus. Thomas said to Jesus in John 20, 28, he said, my Lord and my God. He said, you're my master now. As a matter of fact, if you read through the book of Romans, what you'll see over and over and over and over and over again is Paul saying, hey, believers, Yo. Now that you're following Jesus, don't offer your bodies to sin. Instead, offer them to righteousness. Do you know what that implies? It implies that we now have a choice. People that you know that don't follow Jesus, and you we boycott them all the time, don't we? Aren't Christians great at boycotting? I don't get it. Like we boycott people that don't have a choice about sin. As if our boycotting is going to enable them to make a choice that they cannot make. They are slaves to sin. They are going to do what they do because they don't have a choice. The greater tragedy, y'all, are people in the church who have been born again and can actually choose to do the right thing and don't. That's what we should boycott. Churches will be much emptier. But we should talk about that not the world that sins, but Christians who choose to. And I hope that's not too harsh for you. But when we, ch- when we sin, we chose it. When they sin, they did what was natural to their nature. We have a new master, y'all. His name is Jesus. And we have a new God. James 1.14 talks about people in sin. It says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away, led away by their own evil desire and enticed. Y'all, we we sin because we are led by our flesh. Again, the world has no choice. They're going to be led by their fleshly desires. But when we are born again, Romans 8:14 says, "For those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. See, being born again gives us a new father, a new master, and a new God. We are different because we're born again. Now, let's wrap this up in a very, I just want to share, you what, with, share with you what God shared with me. I was thinking about this series, right? Thinking about born again, and specifically about this message, and how do we convey, how do I convey to people who live in the Bible Belt, this idea of born again leading to change, right? And, and I realized, what would my life look like if I could snap my fingers and I could go from having been born in Knoxville, Tennessee, Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me, Good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top, Tennessee. <laughs> anyway, born in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was just me and you, but we were there, right? Born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Grew up here in Albemarle. Moved here in the first grade. Met my wife. Stalked her in college. Moved to Irmo, South Carolina. Home of the ochre Strut. There's no song about that. Good old okra strut. There's no song about that. Came back to Albemarle. Like, my life, like, I speak, so, I speak southern, y'all. I'm good at that. My life is marked, isn't it, by somebody who was born where I was born. Forget the spiritual. Can we just put Jesus on the shelf for a second? Do not sound like that statement, right? Just for a moment, let's, just, let's put the spiritual over here, okay? Imagine my life. If I'd been born in India. Now, I've been to India. Simple questions. Simple answers. Feel, feel good about shouting out the answers. Would my life look different if I'd have been born in India? Okay. Some things that would be different. The food I eat would be different. I, on one of my trips to India, they served us chicken and rice i mean sydney that's one of your favorites right chicken and rice and i was like after a week in india of eating i don't even know what when i heard we were gonna have chicken and rice i was like "Mm, come on now good old home cooking i don't know what that was (laughs) i don't i don't know it looked like chicken, and it looked like rice, but it didn't taste like Wendy's chicken and rice. I don't know what it was. There, there were bones and, and tendons, and there was every, it was like they took a chicken and rice and threw it in a pot and covered it. And that chicken was alive when it went in, and it was dead when it came out, I think. Right? I, I think. I didn't like it. Would my language be different? Would I dress differently? I mean, that's debatable, right? Because now, like everybody in those cultures, want to be like America. I don't really know why, but they want to be like America. They want to dress like Americans. So there's a shift. Um, but I'd I'd probably wear some different clothes. Would Would I look different? I mean, I'm hoping so, right? <laughs> I don't think I'd be as I might not be as tall. I I'd probably be a little darker, a bigger beard. Yeah, I mean, other things I've noticed in India, I would I would squat different because in America we tend to do this right here. You know, like but over there they're, I don't know how they even do it. They like, right? It's weird. It's like they and they they're so comfortable. So I'm I'm not. I'm trying again, but like they could just they can be like this all day long. I'm literally about to fall over right now. Toilets are different because. India is the true squatty-potty, right? The true squatty-potty. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That's just in the physical, y'all. If, if I hadn't been born in America and I had been born in another country, do you see how my life would have been drastically different? Galatians says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But we have an entire culture of Christians who look no different after the transfer than they did before the transfer. And whether you come back to the church or not, let this be the last thing you hear me say. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because the Bible that I read, the Jesus that I follow, is clear. You must be born again. And when you are, your life will look different in the new kingdom than it did in the old 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Maybe this is the verse that you need to camp out on today. Paul said to the Corinthian church, now y'all know, um, he wrote the Corinthians two letters that we have. I think there might have been a third one floating around that didn't make it in the Bible, but there's two at least that we know of, and they were harsh. The first one especially was brutal. There was a lot of mess going on in the Corinthian church. And Jesus... Paul writes this at the end of his second letter. He said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I don't feel like I'm out of line to say to you today, Examine yourself. Test yourself. Ask yourself, Am I in the faith? Is your life different today? Because you said yes to Jesus being your Lord, not just your Savior. A lot of people want to get rescued, not a lot of people want to submit. One last verse and then we're going to pray. I wasn't sure if I would share this one or not, but I'm going to. I've got a whole ton of things that I'm going to share someday around the word turn. God just put this word on my heart and Wendy's heart, I mean, I don't know, a couple months ago. And so um, for my birthday, my, I, get, I got birthday money. My birthday was in March. It took me a while to spend it. But um, I, I, took, I got some keys from the Giving Key Company, and it's, mine's got the word turn on it. And so when I'm praying, this is what I hold on to. I try not to pull too hard because that's not good, right? But I've got so many scriptures that God has put on my heart about the word turn. I believe that this is something that God's calling me to share prophetically over our church and over our culture and over our city. And one of the verses that he shared with me is Deuteronomy 2.3. And in Deuteronomy 2.3, this is what it says. In the New American Standard, God's speaking to his people, and this is what he said. You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Can I say this to you, whether you like me or not after today? Some of you, you circled the mountain long enough. Now turn north. Now while I was on vacation talking to Jesus, thinking about that verse, and you know, have you ever just prayed a verse over and over and over again? Isn't it amazing how much God gives you out of that one verse? And one morning I'm praying that verse. I'm like, God, just, man, now turn north. And and here's what he said to me. He said, Paul, turning north is an intentional decision to walk consistently in one direction. Hang with me, okay? Tell the person next to you to listen. Maybe you should listen too. All the times that they circled that mountain, every now and then, on a regular basis, they went the right direction. But they turned from it, and they just decided to keep circling. What would that look like in our lives today? Well, I, I go to church every now and then. I drop some money in the plate every now and then. Sometimes, on occasion, I'll do a reading plan, a new version. I, I've even done the Christian music challenge from Caleb. But you just keep circling sin. I wonder why I can't get anywhere in my life. I feel like I'm doing the right thing occasionally. And the people that know me at church think I'm okay because all they receive me is at church. But you just keep circling that mountain. You're getting nowhere in your life. As a matter of fact, you're here this morning, and you've you've been close to giving up on faith in Jesus because if he really loved me, he would stop this. And he says to you, you've circled this mountain long enough. You turn north and go that way consistently. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to examine your life and see if you're in the faith. You don't need all day for that. As a matter of fact, you know right now if you're in the faith. And before we can even begin, I, you know, I watched the message last week from Larry Wilkins. Oh, my goodness, if you didn't hear it, you need to go watch that again. And I just wept because it was such a beautiful setup for today. All the things that he shared, all the blessings that he shared that his family has experienced. Do you know when they started to experience them? It's when they decided to turn north. They weren't even in sin, y'all. They were just like, God, give us a direction. And he did, and they went with it. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He cannot straighten what you will not submit. In all your ways, not some, not 99%. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And Some of you have circled long enough. Your path is not straight because you have not submitted all your ways. And I'm not today going to give you the benefit of the doubt that if you died, you'd be in heaven. You have to figure that out now. You have to ask God, is my life marked by your lordship? And if it's not, you are in the perfect place today to make that right. Father, I ask your spirit right now, to come and do what only you can do. To begin to move in our hearts, God, about the necessity of being born again. To take an honest look at our lives. As, as Paul as Paul said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I, am I different in the kingdom of light than I was in the kingdom of darkness? Do I see visible change? Can others see visible change or Am I just doing religious stuff every now and then, circling some mountain of sin that I can't get away from, God? I pray that your spirit would convict us right now to make the decision to bow our knee to Jesus. It's the best way to start a summer, to start the rest of our lives, to start the next step that we're taking, God. Let it be to the cross. If you're in the room and you have examined your life and feel that you're not in the faith, I don't care how long you've been coming to the gathering. I don't care if you're a leader at the gathering. If you today feel like you're not born again, I'm begging you to take a step to Jesus to bow the knee to Jesus and to ask him to give you new life to make you a new creation if you're in the room I just want you to put your hand up and say that's me I want to make sure I want to be absolutely sure that my life is is following Jesus if you're at home man raise your hand I don't have to see it just raise your hand say yes to the Lord right now Jesus told a parable about seed being thrown out and it falling in four different types of soil. I'll never forget hearing Billy Graham say that when he read that, God spoke to him and said, so maybe only 25% of the church is saved. Holy moly. I'm hitting it hard, right? Because I don't want to have him look at me. And ask me why I wasn't faithful to preach the word. What you do with it is on you. But when Jesus says words like, you must be born again, I will not take that as an option. He cannot be an add-on to my life. He has to be my life. Those of you that are in the room and you're following Jesus and you know without a doubt you'd be with him today if you died, and there are things in your life that are not what he would want for you, then I want to be the clear call for you to come back to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It may not be an issue of your salvation, but it may very well be an issue of your life. And if you're like me, when you hear messages like this, The enemy wants us just to put it aside, like, oh, Paul's having a bad day. No. He wants you to have a good eternity, right, a good life. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect because we're born babies and we grow, but it does mean we have to grow. And if there's an area of your life where you feel like that growth is stunted, then today was the day that God had for you to be here. And I'm going to call you to repent of that. And you can simply raise your hand and say, that's me. You don't have to tell me what it is. I don't, It's just you and Jesus. But if there's something in your life that you know you need, that's what you're circling. And you need to make that decision to turn north. I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, there's something in my life that I need to turn north on. Thank you so much. Thank you. You just raise your hand. It's just you and the Lord, right? No one's going to quiz you about that. But there's something about turning about making a decision, a motion, something that says, yes, Lord, I hear, and I will bow my knee in that area. Can I just pray for you, and then we'll leave. God, the hands that went up this morning, Lord, I I pray now for the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to begin to give life to their bodies, to begin to lead them, in the ways of righteousness. I thank you that the hands that went up, because they're already following Jesus, they they have a choice, God, in these areas to, to lay that down, to stop circling that mountain, to turn north. And we're turning toward you, God. We're turning our hearts and our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. We want to be born again. And so, Father, we just ask now, I pray for your forgiveness in areas, God, where it might feel like we have prayed the same prayer over and over again for the same forgiveness. And you are so merciful still, 1 John 1, 9, to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I thank you, God, that you're doing that right now in this room. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means as we're born again, God, and as we begin to grow in all the ways that we wish that we were adults, but we're not yet. In all the ways that we fail, but yet you call us to grow. There is no condemnation in those areas, but God, there must be transformation in those areas. And so I pray over these hands that were raised that their lives would be marked by truth and transformation. That people would look at them and say, you're not the same that you were. I see a difference in you. And God, now I pray as the, as the, the, the leader of this house, as the one that you have placed in authority over the gathering. Oh, God, I pray you shake us of complacency. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts for something more. That we would not live a life that's not examined, God. That we would find ourselves not in a fearful way, but like, God, how else Today, can I bow my knee to the Lordship of Jesus? What else could I give to you? Because you're worthy of it all. We sang it this morning. You're worthy of it all. And Lord, in in any part of this message that needs to be softened, you soften it. And any part that needs to continually stick in our hearts and our minds, man, do that, God. Do that, Father.